Hello, everybody, and welcome to the JWB Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Justin. I'm Wyatt. And on today's episode, we're going to be doing our quarterback breakdown. But first, we're going to do our NFL news, as always. First piece is the opt-out deadline has passed, and there really wasn't anybody else who opted out that really mattered. Uh, But in other news, Darius Geis has been released. Some... uh, I would say kind of horrific news came out about Darius Geis and some legal troubles that he got into. And I really want to applaud the Washington football team for acting so quickly on his release. But once we move past that, this does have some fantasy relevance. Justin, why don't you tell me what you think about this? Um, I heard what I thought was a, a whistle in the background when I first learned this news about Darius Geis and, it, in fact, was the Antonio Gibson hype train rolling through town in, in all its glory as everyone else is hopping onto the bandwagon that you and I uh, started <laughs> to push off here weeks ago. So I think outside of what is my extreme love for Antonio Gibson, maybe we have to keep an eye on who ends up making that roster. Because you and I had had a question about whether or not Adrian Peterson would even make the team at one point and i think that question still exists but if ap makes the team especially again since there's no preseason it'll be interesting to maybe project what his role would be with darius geist for sure not there at all uh if he doesn't make the team if there's no adrian peterson and there's no darius geist the chances that we see a lot of antonio gibson and perhaps a lot of him a lot earlier than we thought we would goes through the roof and we've got a maybe revisit moving him higher up in the rankings um, to compensate for that. It's definitely interesting with all the people that are there. So right now there's Adrian Peterson, Peyton Barber, JD McKissick, Antonio Gibson, and Bryce Love. Um, I don't know if they're going to keep all those guys on the roster. Maybe they end up doing it because there's so much uncertainty there with and with COVID, they might want all those guys. I, I would say right now, if the season was to start right now, they have all those players on the roster. My guess is that Adrian Peterson is going to be the primary guy on first and second down. Uh, J.D. McKissick would be the primary guy on third down. They would manufacture touches for Antonio Gibson. Peyton Barber would be the kind of guy who backs up both positions, you know, as like the spell running back. Mm-hmm. And Bryce Love is kind of looking on the outside, but maybe get some work down the road. I mean, it's important to remember Bryce Love was the runner up for the Heisman when he was a junior in college, then had an injury plagued senior year, uh, tore ligaments in the last game of the season, and then basically got drafted where he would have to redshirt his first season in the NFL. So, you know, that's a shot in the dark there. I don't, I don't know if there's anything actually there. I'm still super excited about Antonio Gibson. I don't know how much more I am because I think he's such a unique case where he wasn't really a certain position in college. He was just really a weapon, and that's still what he is now. He's still learning. He's actually in the meetings for running backs and wide receivers. The report came out he's learning both positions, but he's listed as running back. I, I, I have a feeling that 
for most of the season, at least, it's going to be a situation where they're just kind of finding ways to put the ball in his hands. And maybe towards the end of the season, he starts to have a really big role. I still think he's probably going to touch the ball like eight times a game, maybe, you know? Like, I think they want to get the ball to him. I just, I, I'm not sure how much this actually changes it for him. So where I disagree there is that I think that what you just gave me is his floor. And I now had been hoping the whole time that there was a path to 12 to 15 touches a game for him that would really solidify him as a viable flex play from week to week. And then who knows what happens with the ceiling from there. But I wasn't 100% sure how he could even get to that hypothetical ceiling of 12 to 15 touches. Like now I think the path is quite obvious. It's that AP is done and is unable to make the team. Ron Rivera has no allegiances to him. And if there's no Geis and no Peterson, that hypothetical world where his minimum is eight to 10 touches a game and could exceed higher than that, I think it's finally there. So it's just, it, it's so much like, who knows? It, you're right about love and everything else that's happening with that, that backfield at the moment. It'll just be our most interesting case of having to watch without a preseason to figure out who's worth owning and when you take them. I, I do think you're right that the ceiling is pretty high, especially now. I just think that the floor, at least to start, is is possibly pretty low. Yeah, I'm okay with that, though. Let's not forget that our recommendation for everybody is that Antonio Gibson be the fifth running back on your team. So to have him sitting on your bench, you're probably not playing him anyway. You wouldn't even be thinking about using your fifth running back until bye weeks and injuries start to hit, which hopefully you're a quarter of the way into the season before that matters. I'm very comfortable stashing him that low and just watching it play out, knowing that I don't have to uh, go out into free agency to try and get him off of the waiver wire or make a free a free agent auction move for him in a lot of instances, depending on how your league does it. I just like the idea of having him on my team already so that I'm the one who gets to safely watch those performances for the first few weeks before I decide if he's worth like using on a, on a game to game basis, but he might prove to be that earlier than we expected. I do worry that this is going to drive his ADP up so high that he's not going to be the value that we thought he was. And maybe that's just something we have to monitor. Yeah. I agree. If you start looking at your draft boards and you're seeing names like Ronald Jones, for example, there and Antonio Gibson is coming up to the Ronald Jones, Madison level of the draft board, then yeah, I think we probably have to go a different direction. But my hope is that it doesn't quite go that high that fast. Yeah, I'm hoping that as well. We also got some news out of Vegas that Henry Ruggs will reportedly be spending some time in the slot, which could help Brian Edwards actually start on the outside. Uh, the reason why I think this is important is, is because slot targets tend to be worth more than targets from the outside. And if Henry Ruggs is going to be playing in the slot, that also means that Hunter Renfro will see the field much less because he can basically only play out of the slot. So that kind of removes him as a as a late round flyer. And Brian Edwards is someone who kind of got pushed down draft boards because the wide receiver class this year was so good, but he's also pretty darn talented. So there could be two rookies in this offense in the wide receiver position that are doing pretty good this year. Yeah, that's interesting. I will be 
be curious to see how that goes. I haven't been able to pull the trigger on taking rugs as my last receiver in any drafts yet. And I would really like to like his, his potential intrigues me. Um, and I think you're right. The idea that he might see slot targets maybe solidifies that he'll have value kind of like we were just saying with Gibson on an, an earlier basis in the year than maybe initially I thought he would, cause he can get some more targets and have some more viability if he's spending time in the slot as well. So uh, we'll we'll see. It's going to be an interesting year for all these rookies. There's also some news about Dave Montgomery. Reportedly, he's down to 8% body fat from 12%. And this is probably actually just non-news. But as a David Montgomery lover, I think this is just another reason for me to, to, to be excited about him. Yeah, he has started to move up uh, the board in a lot of people's minds, which I'm not at all surprised about i think it's odd it took as long as it did for other people to kind of get a lot closer to your feelings um on david montgomery so i hope he just doesn't really post any more workout hype videos or have any other news of this nature come out because i'd really like to continue to see him there in the fourth and fifth round where i've been able to get him before uh i, I am afraid of his draft stock increasing up to a third round pick in many a draft and it's starting to get that way so if he uh, could take his wonderful BMI ratings and just chill for a little <laughs> bit until the drafts are over, I would appreciate that. Yeah, I, I kind of need the good news about David Montgomery to stop happening because I want to continue to get him in the fifth. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of another running back, Alvin Kamara was actually quoted saying that he tore his knee, whatever that means, in week six of 2019. And that's why he actually missed the time. It wasn't so much the high ankle sprain as it was his knee. And he was basically playing through it the entire season, but he didn't need surgery. And he's basically just rehabbed it on its own. Uh, all reports are that he's healthy now. So this may just be an actual nothing, but I think it's interesting, you know, to hear about it. At least it kind of gives some validation to his somewhat down year last year. I guess I thought it was actually very alarming. I mean, I don't know what tore his knee means. It's just the the cavalier way that it kind of rolled off of him in that interview. Like, I tore my knee, you know, like week six. Like, what? Yeah, it made me feel like it was maybe actually nothing, just the way he, like, offhand. Like, you know how people will say things like that, but not actually mean exactly that? Like, yeah, I tore my knee, but that actually just meant like, yeah, I kind of busted my knee up a little bit. Yeah, I just, I, I hope he's good to go. Like, I I do worry that of all of the people who I look at in the first round, he is the one that has a potential for a very bad floor if it's not going the way that I want it to go. And that that does make me nervous because I initially started out this year thinking that he was going to be a late first rounder, and now he's become a mid or higher than mid first rounder in a lot of drafts, especially in PPR drafts. And man, do I need him to be 100% healthy for that to be worthwhile to take him at pick four, pick five before somebody like Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. So I, I hope he's okay, but it just that just the way he said that he tore his knee made me ask myself, well, like what doctors looked at this? Are you fully recovered? How do I know if you're fully recovered? Yeah, I didn't I'll, know I'll, you tore your knee last year. I'll say so, I don't think you can tear a ligament in your knee and not have surgery. So like. I don't think that happened. Yeah, I agree. Right. Like, I don't think it was an actual tear. It just, it does lead me to believe a little bit. And this might, this isn't a knock on him in any way. It's just a knock on 
fantasy football, I suppose. But like if Kamara is going to be the guy who's going to tough out really bad injuries and not let anybody thoroughly understand what's going on with him, that's bad from a fantasy perspective, right? Like I don't want yeah, him to have bad knees and bad ankles and this this little nagging thing here and there, but he doesn't tell anyone or do anything about it because he just toughs it out on the field. Like that's great for the Saints, and bad for me. Yes. So I, it's I I hope it's okay, but there's nothing we can do with it other than just maybe note in our heads that it's possible that this guy's a grinder and maybe we have to start jumping to our own conclusions on injuries that happen to him throughout the year. In some final running back news, Lamar Miller has signed with the Patriots. And honestly, this didn't move the needle for me. I don't think it changes anything. We're already off Sonny Michel. It probably means that he's going to start the season on the pup list or, or he's not going to be ready, but we were already off him. You know, like, I don't care. We were on James White. This doesn't actually do anything for me. I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't really have strong feelings about him now. Uh, I do worry what it means for Sony Michelle. So if I had liked him a little bit more, or if you're a listener out there that thought, you know, this was going to be a good year for Sony Michelle and you were going to get great value on him, uh, I would probably get rid of that notion altogether but we'll see the one thing i don't think it has any impact on is what we can expect out of james white and that's the person in that backfield that you and i have talked extensively um about you know caring much more about real quick i'll say that even if sody michelle starts the list on the pup i still don't want anything to do with lamar miller i think even if that's the case lamar miller is just going to be at a timeshare with james white and rex burkhead and and Damian Harris. So I don't think he's worth having in any way. Yeah, I agree. I The only thing I think that you maybe have to monitor in the early season, not that this is true, but the, the addition of Lamar Miller and the fantasy community kind of going, yeah, whatever, is very similar to the addition of LeGarrette Blunt in the way that we all went, yeah, whatever. And then... Blunt turned out to what have like 25 carries on the year and 18 touchdowns, whatever that nonsense was. So I I do have to think like, uh, maybe I need to keep an eye on this, but I definitely would not consider him someone that you need to worry about using a draft pick on. Yeah, I I would, I would never draft him. So we're going to move on to our quarterback breakdown for today's show. What we're going to do is we're looking at our top 20 QBs, and we're going to compare them to the Fantasy Pros ECR. For those who don't remember, ECR is the expert consensus ranking. So to start off, Patrick Mahomes, ECR1, JWB1. I'm a little surprised by that. I thought that Lamar Jackson would be one in either our rankings or the expert ranking. So uh, when we actually started putting notes together i did think it was interesting that he was one across the board um question that i have in regards to patrick mahomes and same question i'm going to give you for lamar jackson in what round do you viably think about taking them because of the way that i like to draft i'm looking in in the third round to start drafting one of them but before that i'm not really interested because as if we talk we have talked about we think there's such a cliff in the running back position that we're trying to really draft two of them in the first two rounds. The only I might draft a wide receiver if the value is there, 
But if I do that, I'm definitely not trying to get a QB in the third because then I'm going to be trying to get a running back. I just I would rather wait in most cases for the quarterback because of the way the positional breakdown kind of is for this year. Do you think at the end of the year that Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson will have a very large spread between them? I don't think so. I think it will still be pretty close. And which one of the two scored more points last year? Well, Lamar Jackson, he had a historic season. Where was Patrick Mahomes being drafted last year? I think second round. Where was Lamar Jackson being drafted last year? Like the eleventh round, and that's exactly why. Yeah, and that's kind of the point here. So I, I have been looking for the words and a means for years to tell people within the fantasy community, please stop taking quarterbacks in the first round. And this is kind of no different for me. Like I think that's all that we really need to talk about in terms of these guys. Like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is one, and Lamar Jackson is two. And if you prefer Jackson over Mahomes. That's just fine to have that personal preference. But these are not guys who you should be taking in the top 20 of your 10-team leagues. They should be going after that. Inevitably, every league that I'm going to be in, I'm going to see one, if not both of them, go in the first round or early in the second round, and I continue to find that frustrating. Um, I just don't think that people at large realize why what you and I have spent a lot of time looking at is that every single year there are quarterbacks who are picked outside the top 10, if not outside the top 15, who finish as top three or top five quarterbacks. And that if you take the 10th quarterback off the board almost every year, the difference between that person and quarterback three or four is razor thin. Uh, So this is just not a position where you want to invest a top end first round pick uh, in one of these guys. If everything goes absolutely right for Patrick Mahomes, uh, but somebody else takes Deshaun Watson in round six or seven, the difference between those guys is not enough to make your team uh, a league winner. But they're fantastic. If you can get them in the right spot, that spot is the third rounder later. Yep, I agree completely. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is our number two. He's also ECR number two. We have Mahomes a little bit higher because we think what he can do is more sustainable than what Lamar Jackson can do. But we're not going to fault you if you take Lamar Jackson over Patrick Mahomes. Moving on to our next quarterback, we've got Dak Prescott, who's ECR three and JWB three. Loving Dak Prescott. This is one where I'm hoping that I see him sitting there in round five, and that's the first place that I'm reasonably able to grab a quarterback. Now, is that likely? No, but that's what I'm thinking when it comes to quarterbacks who are ranked three, four, five, or six in these type of fantasy rankings. Uh, I want to get them almost at a spot where it seems irresponsible to find them there. And for me, that's round five for Dak Prescott. Uh, He has been a excellent under the radar fantasy quarterback for a while. And last year was kind of his coming out party, right? So um, I I don't see there being much of a drop off in his numbers. I think that if anything, what we saw from him last year is about his floor, but there is a chance that he could even make gains and that makes him very, very attractive. And I think if I'm not mistaken, that that's the reason why, he is number three this year. Yeah, I am definitely a big fan of Dak Prescott. He was actually the number, QB number two last year, which I don't know if everyone realizes how good he really was. 
Uh, now, you could say that might just be because Patrick Mahomes missed a couple games, but it's hard to deny what Dak Prescott did last year. Uh, I think there was a little bit of worry when Mike McCarthy took over as the head coach, but he kept Kellen Moore on as the offensive coordinator, and Kellen Moore had a lot to do with this uh, big boom in the passing from Dak Prescott. And interestingly, Mike McCarthy has been more of a pass-first head coach. I looked this up. In the 13 years he was a head coach, he's finished in the top 10 in passing yards in 11 of them. So it kind of just like validates that we're going to still get that same Dak Prescott that we got, got last year, and maybe we might get more. Well, there is no way that that stat for Mike McCarthy makes sense unless you view it through a lens of Aaron Rodgers and his performance, right? So it, if what you're sure. if what you're telling me from that is that despite Mike McCarthy's general philosophy, he was able to get out of his own way so that Aaron Rodgers could do what he does best during the time that they were together. That I like because I do think that translate to translates well to Dallas. It I'm seeing a lot of good growth out of Dak Prescott, and he's gotten better over time. Uh, and he ought be hitting that point of his career where he really, really, really starts to make an emergence. So yeah, if if Mike McCarthy is going to just kind of let let Dak and let Kellen cook, as they say and keep himself out of the kitchen, then I think that's good news all around. Um, it just, he seems very safe. Like Prescott is not going to disappoint you or give you a ton of weeks where he just has awful performances. Uh, it seems like he's going to have just good numbers week in, week out, and then occasionally mix in monster games that blow you away. So I, I love to get quarterbacks like that. I don't think people realize, like you said, not just that he was the number two quarterback, but that Dallas was like the number one scoring offense throughout the year like it was wild how good that offense was without really realizing it um so i i love that. i think dak is probably my favorite quarterback to try and get in late round four early round five if you're not going to wait and take something like the ninth tenth or eleventh quarterback off the board the next quarterback we have up is russell wilson who is ecr4 jwb4 Exact same story as Dak Prescott. Let him cook, let him emerge, just keeps getting better and better. But Russell has a slight more probability of giving you some bad games than Dak does. Do you think that's fair? I think it's fair because the offense that they run in Seattle for, you know, that they or they have been running in Seattle, I should say. Right. And we like to think, at least you and I have already said in almost all of these episodes, that we think Seattle is going to throw a bunch more this year. That's why we had the discussions about DK and Tyler Lockett that we had and why we talked about not liking Chris Carson as much as we have in previous years. I do think they're going to throw more. I just You're, you're hitting a, a range here where if Dak's going to come off the board in the late fourth round, Russell's probably coming off the board within a couple picks of him. Um, but almost unanimously, Dak is ahead of Russell. And for me, it's just because I think that that Russell Wilson does carry a slight tendency that just from game flow or from how that particular, I guess it is, it's still just game flow, just from how the script is going for that game, he might suffer from some low pointers that I don't necessarily think I would get out of Dax, but I'd be more than happy 
uh, to have Russell Wilson going into the season. It's just, again, this isn't, this isn't a situation where just because he's popular and everybody likes Russell Wilson that you want to grab him in round three. Like this is a fifth round quarterback for all intents and purposes, which is where you should be eyeing, eyeing him up if you can. For me with Russell Wilson, it's just about how good and how efficient he is year in and year out. And even in that offense where they're not passing that much, he still continues to be a very high ranking quarterback because he's so good. He's tied for first among active players in passing touchdown percentage. And he's had at least 31 passing touchdowns in four of the last five years. So even if they stay the same way that they've been doing, he's still going to be very good. But if they do pass more, I mean, it's possible he could be QB1. I would, I, I think that's in the realm of possibilities. I can't say that I disagree with that. I could see him being QB1 which I think is also true of the other three guys that we've discussed so far to this point. Um, but yeah, I, the sky is the limit. You just don't know for sure if he's ever going to get fully unleashed to get there. The next quarterback we're going to talk about is Deshaun Watson, who is ECR six and JWB five. Yeah. I like Deshaun Watson more than Kyler Murray. You feel the same way, which is why we have them flipped. Uh, from what traditionally has been Murray at five and Watson at six in most people's rankings. Uh, Watson has the all-important been-there-done-that factor to me that Kyler Murray does not. Uh, if DeAndre Hopkins had not been traded away, then I might be looking at Deshaun Watson in the same conversation or maybe slightly ahead of Russell Wilson. Uh, but the reason why Deshaun Watson is going to fall behind there is because it is a different offense. It, it's going to be strange with Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller stretching the field and David Johnson and who knows who working underneath. Um, I also worry significantly about the offensive line play in Houston and if that's going to lead to bad games for Deshaun Watson or injuries for Deshaun Watson. Um, but if you can find him there in round six or round seven, that's a very, very valuable spot to get a quarterback of his caliber. Uh, I think, truthfully, in my assessment here, that the loss of DeAndre Hopkins is not going to have a fantasy impact on Deshaun Watson. I think at the end of this year, his numbers look similar to, if not better, than what he's had in previous seasons. Just the way that he operates to me, just rolling out from behind what has almost always been a suspect offensive line and hoofing the ball downfield, kind of seems like it'll lend itself really well to having Cooks and Fuller. I almost hope if having Cooks on one side and Fuller on the other side makes it easier for him to get big bomb touchdown plays because you're not sure which side of the field he's going to go to. So I have very high expectations for Deshaun Watson. It just is very risky uh, at the same time, which is why we see him back here at five, not up ahead of Dak or Russell. Yeah, you spoke about the the been there, done that with Deshaun Watson, and he's been a top five QB each of the last two years. And... As you spoke of with DeAndre Hopkins leaving, we have David Johnson there now. There's a lot of turnover in the offense. There is part of me that feels like Deshaun Watson might just have to hero ball it and just do everything on his own in a good way. Like, I think that they could just put the ball in his hands every play. He's going to run a lot. He's going to throw all, you know, 
35 times a game. Like, there's a possibility that Deshaun Watson just straight up balls out because they have no choice but to let him do so if they want to win games. Yeah, I agree. And I like having that in a quarterback. Um, I don't necessarily know that I would call it hero ball, but something similar to that is what you and I got out of Jameis Winston last year, and it was to great effect. Took him way late. They had no choice but just Jameis throw it all over the field. And at the end of the year, we had ourselves like a top five quarterback out of nothing. Uh, And I think that that's kind of where Deshaun could be headed. It's just that he's being drafted a lot higher. I think there's a lot of other options for teams that are going to have to play hero ball as well. And those guys who are going to go in picks 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 might end up with seasons similar to what Deshaun Watson has. So I do think it's just a little bit riskier, um, but it, you know, there's nothing wrong with having Deshaun Watson as your quarterback. Like you pretty much play him regardless of matchup each, each week. And you're just kind of there hoping for the best and it should, should be okay. So as Justin alluded to, our next quarterback is Kyler Murray, who is ECR five and JWB six. Yeah. uh, So Kyler Murray, he's going extremely high on what we think is a massive ceiling. And the reason why his ceiling is so high for anybody who did not have any shares of Kyler Murray last year is that last year he actually had a really good season. He ended up finishing his quarterback seven and did it in the worst, most inefficient way possible. You think that's fair to say? I do think quarterback seven numbers on just garbage percentages. Uh, And a lot of that's probably not even his fault as much as it's just adjusting to the NFL and the talent that was around him. But now I've got another year of growth, more stability, and also DeAndre Hopkins. So if some of those terrible inefficiencies get even marginally better, the hope is that quarterback seven turns into quarterback three, four or something along those lines. Um, And I really do think that that is where it is headed for Kyler Murray. I just don't know for sure if this is the year it does that. And what I can't do is I can't take Kyler Murray in round five or six, which is where he's going. Because again, like we've said in previous episodes, when you're the shiny new toy, your ADP is about a round higher than it probably ought be. Uh, So, Whereas a guy like Deshaun Watson is sometimes there in round six and in round seven, Kyler Murray never is. He's always gone in round five or six in the mock drafts that we've been doing. And I don't know what you do if you take him in round five, for example, and then he turns in a quarterback seven, quarterback eight kind of year for you. That could really hurt. And that's the reason why I actually am a little more down on him than I am on a guy like Deshaun Watson. So I don't anticipate having any personal shares of Kyler Murray this year. I think everybody else is going to jump there before me. But if you are that person who has plans to do that and you're going to go grab him in rounds five or six, you're doing it because you think that that ceiling is so high that you can't help but take him. And I do understand that viewpoint. Yeah, the reason why I have him, you know, behind the other guys we've already talked about is that inefficiency, specifically in the red zone where he was 24th in in completion percentage within the red zone. You know, that makes me worry. Um, maybe DeAndre Hopkins uh, changes that for him. And he does have the rushing floor that, you know, basically kind of guarantees him that he's going to be a QB one just by just in rushing alone. But I do have him behind those other guys just because. 
of how inefficient he was with his passing. Moving on to our next QB, we've got Josh Allen, who is ECR7 and JWB7. Yeah, it's an enigma with Josh Allen to me. Uh, You wouldn't feel like he would be number seven, but by every conceivable standard way of evaluating his statistics, it's right where he belongs. It just It's such a slow, methodical offense with low volume that I can't believe that he's risen this quickly in his career up to number seven. And guys like Baker are still way back down in the teens and like really haven't moved much at all. Like Darnold's gone the other way in fantasy drafts. And here's Josh Allen at seven. Um, so a couple things that I would like to lay out for everybody. First and foremost, you're just playing a running back at the quarterback position, which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, People have done it for years with Cam Newton and a lot of other people. It's just that even more so, you have to view Josh Allen like he is a running back. So what does that mean? It means you have to look at the scoring in your league. If you're in a league that gives six points to passing touchdowns and six points to rushing touchdowns, you got to move Josh Allen way down the board. If you're in a more traditional league where it's four points for a passing touchdown and six for a rushing touchdown, you got to move him up the board. If you get 0.1 for every rushing yard, as opposed to having to get 10 yards on the dot to get a point, Josh Allen is more valuable because he is a guy that we're expecting to give you what, like, I don't know what the average is, why you could probably step in here, but he's got to be putting up anywhere from 40 to 60 rushing yards a game. And that's probably on the low end. Well, for the last two years, he's combined for uh, 1,141 yards and 17 touchdowns on the ground. So it's, you know, 550 yards a year, eight touchdowns. So maybe not quite 50 yards a game, but very often he does that. Uh, But even so, you know, if you're going to give me, if you're going to give me 35 yards a game, Let's just go from there. That's three and a half points. And if I'm getting a touchdown every other week on the ground, that means that very often Josh Allen's going to give me 10 points on his legs alone. Um, The other thing that's very interesting is that he is not a negative scoring quarterback for the most part. So if he can get you four to eight points a game on the ground, he's usually not undoing it with interceptions. Even if he throws one or two picks in a game, he tends to have enough passing touchdowns and passing yards to make up for those errors that he may make. So he becomes a very safe option. Uh, The ceiling is obviously not there, right? The ability to go out and be a quarterback one at the end of the year is not possible with how often he's going to drop back and throw the ball in Buffalo's offense. But the chances that he finishes outside of the top 10 is just as low because he's got that baseline of passing and rushing. So you're, you're taking Josh Allen in probably like the eighth or ninth round when everybody else has started to take a quarterback. Maybe somebody has jumped up and took Matt Ryan and somebody else is infatuated with Brady and they've took Brady. And all of a sudden now there's only you and one other person left in the league who need a quarterback. And you've taken Josh Allen a lot later than everyone else has taken a quarterback. And what you've done is given yourself a guy who can't really cause you to lose. He's just going to put up a decent number in the quarterback spot. And you're going to hope that all the other skill positions that you took, while you waited on quarterback 
makes you a league winner. Yeah, because Josh Allen is basically the goal line back for the Bills and he does have that rushing yardage floor, you could basically just like guarantee that Josh Allen is going to be like QB 6 through 10, somewhere in there. That's where he's going to finish. It's basically a guarantee. And that's why I think he's has value here is because you can basically just count on him to give you a good outing every week. He's never going to lose you a week. He's probably not going to win you week either on his own. But if you've spent your picks wisely on some skill positions, you can just slot Josh Allen right in there to make sure that you just have that nice, safe floor in your QB position, and you're going to be good to go, really. Yeah, and you and I owned him last year, and one thing that we learned is not only was he safe, but he's essentially matchup-proof. He was putting up the same amount of rushing yards regardless of what type of defense they were playing. And I think that's just because there's something to be said about how teams may load the box to stop particular running backs. You know, really, really good rushing defenses aren't necessarily really, really good at restricting a quarterback from picking up yards with his legs. It's a different different sort of method there to stop that. Uh, and the fact that there are guys like Devin Singletary in the backfield, I think forces defenses to have to play straight up run defense against Buffalo. And it makes it so that Josh Allen is always going to be able to get his, which is what Buffalo wants. That's part of the reason why Josh Allen is interesting is because Buffalo is usually not losing or winning games by 14 or 17 points. It tends to constantly be close and Josh Allen being able to rush for a first down on third and five throughout an entire game is very valuable when you're picking up you know, yardage for each of those instances. So I like him. I mean, I like him for where he's going this year. I think if I am not lucking into Dak or someone like that early, I would love to be able to get Josh Allen a little bit later. And then if I can't get Josh Allen, then I'm kind of completely giving up and waiting to take some of the guys that we're going to discuss a little bit later. Yeah, I think part of the reason why Josh Allen's rushing is so safe is because it's not designed runs. It's just purely scrambling when things aren't there and he's just been able to make something happen when there isn't anything going on very well so far in his career. Moving on to our next guy, we've got Tom Brady who we're going to for the first time, see a little bit of discourse between us and the experts as he's ECR 11 and JWB eight. Yeah. I don't know why experts are not as fond of him. I think it's because there is some uncertainty on him moving there's questions about his age and his arm at this point of his career. And I think that as valid as some of those concerns are, they don't account for a few things to me in particular. First and foremost, the things that Tom Brady likes to do are really, really available to him from a weapon standpoint in Tampa. We discussed that in great detail in the wide receiver episode where we talked a whole lot about Chris Godwin, how he functions in the slot and what that might mean for Tom Brady. I think it's invaluable as number two point here that Gronk is back both from a blocking and a receiving perspective, just as well as having somebody that understands Tom to relate to the rest of the guys, just what he would do in the locker room. 
for a guy like Tom Brady is huge. Uh, and third, I don't think that the concerns that most people have about Brady really factor in Bruce Arians and how that offense, really how any Bruce Arians offense has functioned um, with him at the helm. So I honestly think that Brady's going to be able to sling the ball quite a lot. I don't think that they have a high-powered enough running game that Brady's going to be able to post leads and then spend most of the third or fourth quarter not throwing the ball as much. Like I think Tampa Bay's path to success this year, Brady's required to throw the ball frequently throughout the whole game. And I think we're going to see something that I don't remember seeing a lot of in New England in recent years, which is 300-yard games out of Brady. Like I've seen a lot of good 200s where he doesn't make mistakes and has a couple of touchdowns, you know, like that's kind of what he's been for the past few seasons. I do think in Tampa, he can be a guy that's throwing for 300 yards and three touchdowns a game. Now he might turn more into Brett Favre this season where he also has a bunch of interceptions because he's slinging it. And I'm okay with that. You know, like if I was able to survive Jameis Winston throwing 400,000 interceptions last season because of how good he was when it was working, I fully expect that Tom Brady is going to be able to give me the numbers to offset any mistakes that he makes in that offense as well. Uh, but most people don't feel the way that you and I feel, and I'm not quite sure why. Do you know what the other side of the narrative is there that has him three or four spots back for most other people? And the only thing that I can think of or see is that because Tom Brady is, you know, as old as he is and, they think that, you know, his arm has deteriorated. And I'm not saying that his arm hasn't deteriorated some, but this is Tom Brady. This guy is not like any other quarterback we've ever seen. He he plays the game differently in the way that he is taking care of himself better than anyone ever has before him at that position. He has made sure that he has been ready season in and season out, no matter how old he's gotten. And I don't think he's done yet. And even if he does take a slight step back. Bruce Arians runs an offense that won't allow him to not be a good fantasy option at the quarterback position. Bruce Arians offenses in the last three years have been top five in attempts every year. He just has no choice to at least be a relevant fantasy option and most likely be a quarterback one, maybe even top five with how much they're going to pass in that offense. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's part of the reason why I like him so much is a lot of the other guys who I see in this area, I'm not 100% sure that they can go out and be quarterback one, two, or three. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers can do that anymore. I don't know that Drew Brees can do that anymore. But I do think when I look at, like you said, the way that Brady would be used in the Arians offense, that it is it is possible that that could be where he goes this year is that high up in the rankings and it's almost a lot less to do with him and a lot more to do with the fact that i believe that mike evans and chris godwin in their current form mike evans in the prime of his career chris godwin starting to emerge might be two of the four best receivers he's ever played with and none of that even factors in having Gronk there as well. So uh, he's got everything he needs to have a massive season. Yeah, I agree with you. Our next quarterback is Matt Ryan, who is ECR eight and JWB nine. 
was Matt Ryan good or bad last year? He was good. Then he's bad this year, right? Well, I don't know about that. Is that not how it goes with Matt Ryan? He has a bad season, and then he falls down draft boards, and he's amazing, and he's great value. So next year, he's high up on draft boards, and then he's terrible. So he falls back down. Like I, That's my issue. I have no idea where Matt Ryan's going to finish on a yearly basis, and I don't know why. I, you would think that with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, he would be substantially higher than eight or nine in the rankings. But he's not, and the reason he's not is because he's proven that sometimes he can just be inconsistent, and that bugs me a little bit. So I don't know. Like I, I think the issue with Matt Ryan is that Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and a lot of times Josh Allen are all falling in the same area, right? One trend that we have seen in a lot of drafts that I think we should absolutely point out to everybody here is that there has hit a point where like in round nine, five quarterbacks go off the board, like almost all at once. And it's all of these veterans and Josh Allen going at the same time. So you can only get one. So, I mean, I have to ask you why it like I, you're the one who made the ranking. So I kind of already know your answer, but if it's Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, and you can only have one is Matt Ryan, that one. Well, no, why? He has well, Julio people. Jones. He has Calvin Ridley. He's got a track record of performing. He's in a, a dome, high-tempo offense. Well, he's just not as good as those other guys in front of him, like actual talent-wise. And that's it right there. And I don't know if everybody really realizes that. It's just at the end of the day, Matt Ryan is a really good NFL quarterback who he's is fine. not a great quarterback and he's not a great fantasy asset so he's not matchup proof he's proven that over the years that you can't just take matt ryan and play him 16 times a year and say whatever i get i'm gonna get you you can usually predict for the most part when matt ryan's gonna give you his two or three 30 point games a year and you can usually predict when he's gonna struggle a little bit more so if you end up with Matt Ryan, my suggestion is that you consider taking another quarterback in this same sort of area as well. If I'm going into the season with Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford and I can play the matchups between those two, I feel good about it. If I have Matt Ryan and Ryan Tannehill's my backup so that I know any week that I'm afraid that Matt Ryan is about to explode, I can play the safety of Ryan Tannehill, I feel good about it. If I take Matt Ryan and then I ignore quarterback and have no choice but to take like Jared Goff or Daniel Jones later, I'm probably in trouble. Yeah, I mean, you made your point. Uh, Matt Ryan, he's not a great quarterback, but he is a good quarterback and he'll throw the ball 600 times. So that's why he's here. You know, he can still put up plenty of numbers. He's just not usually putting up the numbers that you would see for a number one quarterback. And that's why he's kind of back in the back half of the top 10 what the years that he does throw a good amount of touchdowns you see him get up there but it's hard to rely on that the next qb we've got is drew Brees, who is ecr 10 and jwb 10 i think drew Brees is a fairly safe option as well uh it's just that the way that we discuss josh allen as a very safe option at quarterback Drew Brees is the same way, but with even less of a ceiling than Josh Allen because he doesn't have the benefit of the rushing yards. So it's almost like you just have to look at 
are you happy with a couple hundred passing yards and one or two touchdowns as your baseline with the hope that you have more games of extra touchdowns than you have more games of extra interceptions. And that's probably what you're going to get with Drew Brees. We have seen that as he's gotten older, Sean Payton is smart enough to rely on guys like Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray. So they've become a lot better at running the ball, especially when they get in the red zone. And that has substantially limited the potential that Drew Brees has as time has gone on. Um, but I do like him as a, a later option. We're now at quarterback 10. So we're saying that we're hitting the point where you are the last person to take a quarterback uh, in your 10 person league. So that would mean that you're somewhere in rounds 10 or 11 at this point, maybe even later. And you're talking about getting Drew Brees, which is very interesting. Yeah, I, th I think you talked about Drew Brees perfectly in the way that he's basically a safe quarterback, but on the passing end. Um, and how Sean Payton has kind of reeled back what Drew Brees does. Drew Brees is still a very efficient quarterback. It's just that the way Sean Payton has made this offense now that it's not having a lot of big plays and they do rely on the running game a lot more, especially in the red zone, as you spoke of. So. Yeah, I don't think Drew Brees really has that top five upside anymore, but he will still probably finish at the back end of QB1s, and that's the way we're going to take him because we think he will finish there. Yeah, that's interesting what you say about big play potential because I do remember really enjoying some years with Drew Brees where he would do things like get Brandon Cook's 98-yard touchdowns off of screen passes. Uh, and you're right. I guess that is what is different now. Like I'm not seeing Michael Thomas break out 80 yard touchdowns he just consistently catches every 11 yard pass throughout the entirety of a game and does that 12 or 13 times in a row and it's amazing <laughs> uh it's just it is it is a different offense than what we have seen in years past from them next quarterback we're going to talk about is carson wentz who is ecr 9 and jwb 11 sure so i don't think we're going to spend too much time here on carson wentz um if you take him you might have yourself a top five quarterback. He could absolutely explode. I worry about the wide receiver situation, as everybody should. But if it goes well, he has almost proven to me, I think, Wyatt, that his game is immune to the talent at their wide receiver position, that he can deal with anything there and be just fine. The risk with him is quite obvious. It's the injury history. So... Know, know what you're getting into. If you're taking Carson Wentz, take another quarterback right after this or take him as a very interesting number two to go along with a safe option that you already have. If you want to put Breeze and Wentz together, go for it. If you want to put Wentz and Tannehill together, go for it. Wentz and Allen, that's a perfect combination as well. But that's kind of what you're looking for here with Carson Wentz. If you want to play him, you need another safe option to go with it, or you're hoping that he becomes extremely valuable trade bait throughout the year, and that's it. Yeah, I think everyone knows how talented Carson Wentz is. I mean, he's one of the best in the entire NFL. It's just a matter of if he's going to be on the field for 16 games. We, Like you said, we've seen him do it with subpar talent around him. He adds a little bit of a rushing floor. He does move around pretty good. He can scramble. 
It's just a matter of, are you going to get 16 games out of them? If you get 16 games out of them, you probably have a top five QB. Yeah, I would think that makes a lot of sense. If you get 13 games out of him, you probably have a top five, six, seven quarterback, which is great. It's just, you might get eight games out of him. You might get less than eight games out of him and you have to be prepared for what happens if that's the case. Next quarterback we're going to talk about is Aaron Rodgers, which might seem weird to hear his name at this point in the podcast, but he is ECR 13 and JWB 12. How do you end up this low? That offense, man, it's just not built around him anymore. I I don't know if I fully understand that. Because Aaron Jones, although he is extremely efficient, last year was really the first time that Aaron Jones had ever behaved in that that particular way. Uh, Devonte Adams is just an absolute beast. Is it just there's no one outside of Devonte Adams for him to throw to? So his red zone touchdowns are not what they once were. Like I guess I don't fully get what has caused his numbers to turn into what they have. I'm not disputing that he belongs down here. Let me make that very clear. Like I do know that his his touchdowns, his averages have all dropped. I guess I just don't fully understand what's made that so. Well, I think the big thing is that, you know, Matt LaFleur being there as head coach now that he prefers to run more than pass if he can. So it's kind of affected Aaron Rodgers overall numbers. And then Aaron Rodgers has seemed to become a little bit more of a conservative QB. His touchdown rate is down. His interception rate is also down. But I think what that really means is he's not taken any chances. I have actually heard a very similar philosophies from some certain analysts. Um, one in particular that I'll name, I know what you just said there, why it is very similar to things that Colin Cowherd has said about him for years. I have heard him and other people say that he is not willing to put himself in the Packers in risky situations the way he was when he was just gunning it in earlier stages of his career. And I can definitely see that if that's true, if we assume that that's the case, that could amount to 50 to a hundred yards a game of offense. That's not there for him anymore, which would move him, you know, from the top of the pack to the middle of the pack, at least in terms of fantasy uh, perspective. So I guess, I guess it makes sense. So what, what do we think about Rogers that he's going to have, some games where he's great and most he's going to be just outside the top 10. Are we thinking that the reason that he's this low in the rankings is because he's just going to be like quarterback seven, eight, nine every week. Yeah. I, I basically view him as a worse version of Drew Brees, where I think that they're going to be very safe QBs who will likely end up in the back half of the QB ones. But like, you're never going to be like, super happy that you have Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to win you weeks. He might win you one, but at the end of the year, you're going to be like, oh, I guess he did pretty pretty good for me. Yeah. Our next QB is Matthew Stafford, ECR 12, JWB 13, and I'm kind of surprised that we're not higher than expert consensus on this. I thought we were going to be higher. Well, yeah, we absolutely love Matthew Stafford, so it is shocking that that is the case. Um, but that's, that's good news. I mean, that means that the community is on the same page with Matthew Stafford that you and I are, which is that he is an outstanding quarterback and an offense that's going to allow him to produce a ton of numbers. Um, again, I had said this, uh, in regards to, I think Matt Ryan or someone 
earlier, just in the opposite sense. But I think you can predict when Matt Stafford is going to be really good. And that helps when you own him as a fantasy asset. Uh, I know that you'll go over a lot more numbers in regards to Matt Stafford, Wyatt, but last year, the games that he played were outstanding. And if you got that sort of performance from him on a week, week in, week out basis, he would have been excellent. And I've always really enjoyed owning Matthew Stafford on my fantasy teams because one, you can get him very, very late and ultimately he can be a league winner for you where you can draft him. And two, that team and where they play makes it pretty easy to pinpoint the weeks that you want to play him and the weeks that you don't. You and I have had success with Matthew Stafford through the years playing him when they play Green Bay playing him when he has home games, not playing him when he goes out to Minnesota and goes out to Chicago for divisional games, right? So I think it is nice that you can look at a guy like Matthew Stafford, who you're going to have with another good quarterback on your roster. There's a reason why he's quarterback 12, uh, and it's because his ceiling is not as high. So usually you have Stafford in another good option, so to be able to say, here's the eight to 10 games a year, I'm going to play Stafford and he's going to go out and give me a huge number is invaluable. Yeah. Last year in eight games he played, he had 2,500 yards, 19 touchdowns, five interceptions. That works out for a full season of 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Seems amazing, right? He would have finished this QB six. It's not quite as high as I would have thought, but that's because he has zero rushing floor. He doesn't rush at all. Hmm. So really, if you're drafting Matthew Stafford, you're saying, I think he's going to have another big year like like he was having last year, except play the whole season, which I do think he's going to do. I, I think he's going to have a very good year. But because he has absolutely zero rushing capabilities, it kind of prevents him from actually being a top five QB or even having that potential. So that's why we've got him back like this. Even though we think he's going to have a really good year, his really good year is QB7. And I would love to have that if I'm taking him in the 14th round. Right. So it's all about value. The next guy we've got is Ryan Tannehill, who is ECR 17 and JWB 14. I'm not surprised we're higher than the expert consensus ranking. You and I value players who are safe a lot more than the rest of the community. Uh, and Tannehill is very safe. What, what is more likely? Tannehill has a game of three touchdowns. Tannehill has a game of two interceptions. Three touchdowns. Almost every single time, right? And that means a lot to me in particular. Uh, I don't mind that he is probably going to have 15 passing attempts a game if things are going well for Tennessee. I'm happy with that. I think that at the end of the season, Tannehill's going to have very few interceptions, decent yards and decent touchdown numbers, uh, and he's going to prevent any losses due to the quarterback position that I would would take on my team. Um, he's not going to win, win you weeks, right? Like you were just saying as well. Uh, about Aaron Rodgers, but he certainly isn't going to lose you weeks. And that's that can mean a lot when you're using a strategy where you're taking quarterbacks late. 
Yeah, I think you're right that he is very safe. And I think that has a lot to do with the offense that's being run in Tennessee and the fact that he does have a rushing floor to him. And he he can be pretty mobile. He can get you some rushing touchdowns. But the Tennessee offense just operates in a way that it doesn't allow for Ryan Tannehill to make mistakes, which I think is why he was so good last year. And speaking of how good he was, after he became the starter, he was QB number three from that point on in fantasy. But what Tennessee likes to do is they like to get their playmakers the ball in high percentage ways and let them make plays. So Tannehill isn't throwing a lot of high-risk passes. What he's doing is they're running a lot of play action after Derrick Henry has run the ball down the defense's throat and then making easy throws to A.J. Brown or Jonu Smith and letting them make the yards for him. So that's why I think Ryan Tannehill is extremely safe. And like you said, yeah, he's probably not going to win you a ton of weeks, but he's going to perform well week in and week out. The next QB we're going to talk about is Cam Newton, who is ECR 16 and JWB 15. Yeah, so I think this is now where we've hit the rest of the guys in the quarterback pool. So uh, I think we'll just go quick hitter through here on, on everybody else. We're a touch higher on Cam Newton than the rest of the community. We've already discussed on some other episodes how we feel about Cam Newton and why. Uh, there's a very good chance that a healthy Cam Newton in the New England offense can produce some rushing touchdowns, some passing touchdowns, and give me some viable offense. Uh, there's also a possibility that it's an absolute train wreck and that Jared Stidham is the quarterback of that team at some point throughout the season, and that makes me nervous as well. You're right. We've already talked a lot about Cam Newton. It's pretty simple. If we're getting healthy Cam Newton, he's going to outperform his ADP. If he's still struggling through his injuries, this is going to be a tough one. Moving on, we've got Jared Goff, who's ECR 19, JWB 16. If you ask me if Jared Goff is a good quarterback or if Jared Goff <laughs> is a terrible quarterback, but Sean McVay is a good coach, I cannot answer that question for you. Oh, and I can answer it. That's the reason. Yeah, I bet. That's <laughs> the reason why he is all the way back here. It, it's it's rough for me and Goff. I don't have any idea what to expect from him. Uh, the only thing that I think I can predict about that team is that they're going to have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Yeah, I, I do not think Jared Goff is a good quarterback by NFL standards, but I do think he is a good fantasy quarterback because Sean McVay always finds a way to make things work. And interestingly, last year, he had he threw the ball 626 times, only had 22 touchdowns, very low touchdown percentage. But if he would have just had his normal average touchdown percentage, he would have thrown 36 touchdowns. But I think that's also a testament to how bad he is when the offensive line is not playing well, which they did not last year, and we don't expect to do this year. We have him here because there is potential for him to be a top 10 QB just because they're going to throw the ball a lot, and if Sean McVay gives him the right offense, he's going to produce. Our next QB is Daniel Jones, who is ECR 14, JWB 17. Um. All right, so we are lower on Daniel Jones than the rest of the community. Official recommendation, this isn't the year to take him. 
let somebody else do it. Keep your eye on him. And then maybe next year is the year that Daniel Jones is your quarterback. He can hurt you badly. He can absolutely go out and do the exact opposite of what we talked about with guys like Ryan Tannehill and turn in a 200-yard, three or four interception performance. And again, on the flip side of that, there is a very strong possibility that at the end of this year, if Daniel Jones plays 16 games of football, that half of the points that he scored came in four or five of those 16 games. And it's not going to be very easy to predict which games it is that he explodes and which games it is that he explodes in a negative way. Uh, so sit the year out, let him grow, watch them play and see if maybe next year is the year that he starts to become like a Kyler Murray sort of player where we have to have him. Yeah, you're, you're right. He has inconsistency problems and he has turnover problems. He turned all over the ball 23 times in 2019 in only 13 games. So that's almost two times a game he's turned the ball over. And he had 13 of his 24 touchdown passes in three games. So like you said, he's going to have these games where he actually just straight up hurts you. So that's why we have him back further than the experts. Our next QB is Baker Mayfield, which is ECR 18 and JWB 18. I almost feel the exact same way about Baker as I do about Daniel Jones. I don't know that this is necessarily the year where you want him, um, but not because he can explode to hurt or help you. Uh, in Baker Mayfield's case, I think the reason that I feel the way I feel is because I would like to see what the team looks like with Kevin Stefanski this year. And then next year, maybe reasonably discuss if Baker is worth owning as one of those guys who's like quarterback 9 10 11 in the same range where we were looking at drew Brees, right uh baker doesn't have a massive ceiling because the team is going to be very run dependent to me and the fact that he wasn't very good last year leaves a lot of question marks that we have to answer so both daniel jones and baker mayfield Jared Goff as well. The official recommendation is pass. And Wyatt, I think the reason why you and I feel that way is because of how we feel about Gardner Minshew and Joe Burrow, who are our last two guys here. Yeah, there, there's some uncertainty with Baker Mayfield under the Stefanski offense. You know, uh, Stefanski likes to run the ball a lot, so you don't expect Baker Mayfield to throw the ball a lot. He was very good as a rookie, very bad as a sophomore. Maybe Stefanski turns him into a uber efficient QB the way he did with Kirk Cousins, but I don't know. So that's why we have him back this far. You spoke of our next two guys. The first one up is Gardner Minshew, who's ECR 23 and JWB 19. Is Gardner Minshew going to lead the league in passing attempts that happen in the last 10 minutes of a game? <laughs> I think that might be a guarantee, actually. Right. I think it might be, which is kind of outrageous. But when you stop and think about it, they're perfectly capable as an offense to put up points. Like Fournette is not garbage. Their offensive line is not terrible. Shark is flat out awesome. I just every every time I look at Jacksonville, I just think every facet of their offense, with the exception of Shark, who is awesome, is capable. They get it done. And they're 
also terrible as a football team. So you got a guy who is good enough to throw the ball to receivers who are good enough to catch it on a team that isn't good enough to win a whole bunch of games. They're going to have no choice but to consistently be playing offense, either because it's close and they're trying to win or because they're way behind and they have to make up ground. Uh, and I think Minshew is going to have himself a hell of a year because of that. I think Minshew is this year's Jameis Winston. I th- I think that is the perfect comparison, except that Minshew doesn't make as many mistakes as Jamie Winston. But you're right. He's likely going to have to throw a ton. I actually don't think people realize how good Minshew was last year. If you take the 12 games he started and turn them into a 16-game season, he would have finished as the QB 12 in fantasy points. He's actually a pretty efficient quarterback. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He adds a good amount of rushing. And you're right. They're going to have to throw a ton. So... He could just end up being this year's Jameis Winston, as you said, and end up, you know, top 10, top five. Yeah, and I, I will I will tell you right now that I don't see any scenario, not a single one, in which Jared Goff, Daniel Jones, and Baker Mayfield all finish ahead of Gardner Minshew. I will be right. shocked if two of those three finish ahead of Gardner Minshew. I expect him to finish higher than all three of those guys, and I would understand if one of them did and then i will couple that with the idea that in every single mock draft i've been in goff jones and mayfield have come off the board before gardner Minshew, and in a handful of drafts that you and i have been in together Minshew's went undrafted yeah there's there's like zero draft capital that you have to spend to get him and he might be better than a lot of the guys taken ahead of him right so why not invest in this guy who in a I wish I could remember off the top of my head, but I think in standard like ESPN leagues, it's 15 or 16 rounds that you draft. So let's say in a 15 round draft, when you know for sure that you're taking defense and kicker at 14, 15, you can just grab yourself Gardner Minshew in the 13th round of a draft and off you go with a quarterback who I think is going to end up being the person you start on most weeks. And that's incredible. So uh, that's why I said what I said previously, that I don't have shares of Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff this year because of Minshew. Um, And I think that he is a very safe option to put up a ton of points Uh, outside of him. I think we can get just directly into Joe Burrow here to finish this off. I view him very similar to the way I view Gardner Minshew, Wyatt, that I think he's going to have to throw the ball a lot. It's just that Burrow has what might be a very high ceiling if things go well in that offense. So we've discussed a lot about Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green and Joe Mixon in previous episodes. The weapons at Joe Burrow's disposal are unlike anything that I have ever seen a rookie quarterback have coming into this league. And Burrow's coming in with quite a good pedigree from what we saw him do last year against good defenses. Yeah, so Joe Burrow is ECR 20 and JWB 20. And as you spoke of, he's got great weapons around him. He's got an amazing pedigree. He's had probably the best QB season we've ever seen in college football last year. My only concern is that he's a rookie learning the QB position in the worst offseason possible. So I have concerns, and that's why he's at QB 20 for me. But I think it's important to no, he does have legitimate top 10 upside. He could just be one of the best rookie QBs we've ever seen. And we do expect Cincinnati to throw a lot. 
Yeah, and you know what else I remember you telling me when we were doing projections as well that I didn't quite understand at first either in terms of uh, Joe Burrow. I think I remember you doing a comp of Joe Burrow to Aaron Rodgers that made a lot of sense where we were looking at really good seasons that Aaron Rodgers had were part of the reason that he had value is because he would just kind of drop back and the next thing you know, he picked up 13 yards on the ground for a first down. And that facet of Aaron Rodgers' game has kind of went away or diminished throughout the years. But that is one thing that I don't know if everyone realizes that in terms of Joe Burrow, he's going to have some rushing yards to go along with what he does as well. So I think even to help make up for some mistakes, like Joe Burrow could very easily give you 30 rushing yards in a game from rolling out and kind of breaking free a couple of times for a few big plays, which is enough to offset an interception per game as well. Yeah, you're right. People don't realize how much running ability Joe Burrow actually has. I think that may be maybe just because of how amazing of a passing season he had. But he ran for almost 400 yards both years at LSU. And in college, they actually subtract the yards from your rushing totals when you get sacked. So it's actually more than that. So you're right. He will be able to add some rushing floor to his offense. I think that's going to about do it for today's episode Please join us for next week's episode when we do our tight end breakdown. As always, you can find us on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash Football. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at WyattB underscore FF. Justin's at JWill underscore FF. The show is at JWB underscore FF. And we'll see you next time. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>